Please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Almighty and ever-living God, three in one and one in three, we praise you today for bringing us into your story, for calling us to be your witnesses. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, your word may be present with us and your life may be seen in us. Send us out to share your word, your life, your grace, and your love with all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is uh, Holy Trinity Sunday. It's the only Sunday of the church year devoted to a theological concept um, rather than to a specific uh, uh, story or uh, portion of the story of the scriptures. Um, And so we come to this day and we have scripture stories uh, uh, chosen for this day. Uh, John 3, uh, 1 through 17 that I just got done reading. You're probably scratching your head a bit saying, didn't we just hear this about three weeks ago? If you are, then good for you. You're remembering well. Yes, we had this um, just uh, not even a month ago uh, as uh, at least a portion of this was the gospel for that day. But it comes up again on this Holy Trinity Sunday um, because of the nature of uh, these texts are chosen uh, to kind of allude at the the idea of Trinity. This strange and wondrous concept that God is three persons, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet there is one God clear, right? So I've opted rather than doing a separate children's message today um, to uh, treat us all as children of God and recognize that uh, um, in the children's message, one of the things I often like to do when, especially when we can bring the kids forward and ask them questions and such, is to do exactly that. Say, hey, what questions do you have? And we can kind of try to make sense of what's going on. Uh, With the Trinity, that has been uh, the goal of the church (laughs) since we started talking about the Trinity. Um, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. Three, one. One, three. Makes sense, right? Yeah? No? Uh, Sure, right? (laughs) Sure is a good answer there. Um, So over the years, um, people have said, well, that doesn't quite make sense. I don't quite follow you. So we've we've attempted to do that uh, by analogy, right? And so one of the uh, famous analogies of the Trinity is uh, this is water, right? Just ordinary, yep, there's some on the floor now. Um, There's... It's, it's water, um, ordinary, everyday stuff, uh, can't live without it. Um, but water comes in three different ways, right? We have 
I, I actually had ice cubes in this when it started, but it's a little warm in here. And uh, they have all melted. Now they're just water again, right? But water comes as solid, ice, right? Liquid, water. And if we were to heat this up really hot, it wouldn't look like either of those, would it? It would be steam, vapor, mist, yeah. And so uh, all three of those things, but one substance, right? So that's been used over the years uh, to uh, talk about Trinity because we can see this and attest to it and say, ah, okay, now I get it. Problem is, that's uh, heresy and was declared heresy uh, in about uh, 300, at the end of the third, yeah, at the end of the fourth century. Um, that was declared, declared heretical. It was a form uh, we call modalism. Um, it says that God is one substance. There's only one God, but he appears to us in three different forms. So there's all kinds of analogies that end up being modalism. Uh, anytime, uh, you know, another famous one, I am uh, both, I am at one time a, a, uh, a man, a husband, and a father, right? We can attest to that. We could find other titles, too, so that I could be not just three in one, but four or five or six or however many you want in one. But the reality is that I'm still one person, not three distinct persons, but one person serving three different functions or forms. All of those are modalism. And the church said, mm, that's, that's a nice try, <laughs> but our water analogy doesn't quite hold up. And they said, uh, God is three distinct persons. Not just one thing, but three things, but yet they are one. So we say, okay, well, what, what about the sun? That's another one um, that uh, the sun has, uh, it, it's, it's the object or the star of the sun, right? And, and then the sun, we see its light and we feel its heat. So you have the star, the heat, and the light. Maybe that's like the Trinity. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> that's Arianism. Uh, Arianism says that there's the Father, and the Father has created the Son and the Spirit. But they aren't the same as the Father. Just as light and heat are created by the Son... But they aren't the sun. That's what we call Arianism. And it was also heresy, declared uh, a bit later than, than modalism, um, but still um, a long time ago. We still speak about these things and we try to uh, work them out. Maybe you've seen this, right? Um, this is an apple, right? So uh, people use this to talk about the Trinity too because... If, uh, you know, the outside of this, it, there's a little bit of skin there, right? Hmm. The middle, excuse me, um, that's the flesh or the fruit of the apple. If we were to get all the way into the middle, right in here, 
there's a core, right? Different than the skin, excuse me. Nothing like breaking your mom's rules and eating with your mouth full on, you know, live video feed. Um, that's great. That's not modalism. It's not Arianism. But if you guessed it's still heresy, you're right. It is. It's called partialism is what we usually call it. Um, it says not that God is three different forms or ways of being, but that there's three different parts that make up the Trinity. One God, the Trinity, in three usually equal parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each one-third of the Trinity. But not. But we say that doesn't work because each of them individually are also God. Would we say this skin is the whole of the apple? No. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each co-equal, each eternal, each God in and of themselves, and yet they are distinct from one another, and they are God. You want to know the... Uh, so you say, well, how do we, how do we describe this? Um, I've opted to go with the Nicene Creed today, which is a little bit more um, than uh, the Apostles' Creed in developing this idea. Speaks directly to that idea of Arianism that we were talking about. But even more so, we could have gone with the Athanasian Creed um, today, which is the church's attempt to really lay out the theology of the Trinity, where we would have understood... Um, and I have to write this down. I'm going to say it really fast because that gets the idea. The Trinity is a mystery which we cannot comprehend by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed. It states, among other things, um, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons or dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian faith to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory and co-equal in majesty. So now you know. <laughs> I say all of this because Trinity, it's not to make light of this concept that is so difficult for us to understand. It is instead to say that I believe that at the heart of Trinity is a truth about God that we are unable to fully express. And isn't that the way it should be? God is bigger than our understanding. God is not able for us to capture in language or word, in emotion or feeling. And yet, we use all of these to speak about our experience of God, our connection to God, our understanding of God, which is always incomplete and probably heretical. 
That's not a problem. In fact, it's faith. And I love that today, the stories that we have, I think, build on that experience. That experience that says, faith is not about you understanding or knowing or being able to say, here's what it is. We can't point to anything. Water or God, water or an apple or the sun or you name it. We can't point to any of that and say, look, now I understand God. Instead, we are invited into a relationship with a God who in his very being is relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. And you say, I don't get it. And you say, that's probably right. That doesn't mean that we stop trying to understand. Instead, it means we follow into this journey of wonder and relationship and, ex- and joy and unfolding life that we could not possibly have imagined or comprehended. And yet, you are invited into it. In the first lesson today, we meet the prophet Isaiah as he's being called into service as the Lord's mouthpiece. You know, that's what you are. You have been called by your baptism to live in this world as the voice of God, to proclaim in word and deed the glory and majesty of the God who has made all that is and calls you to be his witness. Well, in the the vision that Isaiah has, he's, he's taken into the throne room of God, this Glorious, bejeweled, bedazzled uh, place with, full of light and color and all kinds of, of things, uh, some of which are quite frightening, honestly. Uh, seraphs, this, this, uh, as he's there, uh, Isaiah says, how can I be here? I'm a man of unclean lips, he says. He says, I, basically just saying, I don't deserve to be in this, in your presence in this way. And so as soon as he says that, uh, God sends a seraph, which in that time uh, they, they pictured as three-winged snakes with fiery eyes. And it comes to him holding in its mouth a, uh, a hot burning coal that touches his lips and says, there, now you're pure. <laughs> Sounds exciting, right? You're like, what in the world is this? If you're, that's the way you're feeling, now you feel like Isaiah, right? But at the end of that, uh, same thing with our, our, our lesson in, in the gospel today, where Nicodemus does what we all do. I, I make fun of Nicodemus a lot for, doing the, for, for coming to Jesus in the middle of the night so that nobody else would see him. 
But you know what? That's what we all do. Whether you're a kid in the classroom trying to get your teacher's attention without stopping the whole process of, of the class uh, to ask a question that you need clarification on, you want to understand, you want to know, or whether you are uh, uh, out of the academic world and you're now trying to figure out uh, your work environment and you, uh, you know that you've been tapped with the responsibility to do something and you don't quite understand it, you don't stop the entire office and say, I have a question, right? No, you go over to the person you think will have the answers for you, and you call them to you, and you find a way to not disrupt everyone else, and you say, help me to understand what's going on here. That's no different than what Nicodemus does here. He comes to Jesus by night, and he says, I, I see something in you. Because nobody can do what you do without God's presence with them. But I have questions. I don't understand how this can be because there's other things about you that don't make sense to, to Nicodemus. He doesn't seem to live in the same way that everybody else does. He doesn't seem to say the same things that all the other rabbis have said. And so Nicodemus says, I want to understand, but I have questions. And he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night with those questions. I bet you do too. I bet you have questions about your faith. That you're trying to figure out, what is it, God, you're up to here? And some of those you share with the other believers uh, in our community, and some of those you share only with Jesus because you can't even really put the, uh, words to them yet. But you are saying like Nicodemus, I see something in you, but I have questions and I have confusion and I don't understand Brothers and sisters, this is faith. And that's what it's about, especially when we believe in a triune God who is bigger than our understanding. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is, quite frankly, less than helpful. Well, no one can see this unless you're born again, born from above, born of water and the Spirit. What on earth is that supposed to mean to Nicodemus? And that's exactly what he says. Huh? How can I do that? And Jesus doesn't belittle him for, for his questions. He invites him in to a life that is beyond what he understands. He invites him to be born into wonder. Born into a world that is bigger than my understanding of it. Born into a relationship with one that I can't possibly pin down with my words. Born into a life that extends beyond what anything that I could know. We're born into Trinity. We're born into God. We're born into wonder. With all of its questions, 
and all of its new life. You are born anew. In the one who brings you the good news that he's not here to condemn. He's here to save. The one who comes in our moment of fear when the coals are coming and says, here, I have the solution. And we say, I don't know if I want it, right? With Isaiah, the next question is, who will go for us? Whom can I send to be my witness? And we with Isaiah say, I'm in. Here I am. I'm, I'm in. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I want to know more. I'm in. We're born into wonder. And a relationship that is beyond our knowing. So, wherever your questions are, whatever your heretical analogies may be, don't worry. Stay in the relationship. Share them in community. Talk about them. As the scriptures say, when you are at home and when you are away. Bind them to your forehead. Live them with your life. For this story of salvation that comes to us in Father, Son, and Spirit has called you to join in the story and to be born to wonder. Amen.